are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. The best things in life are free. You've heard that before, right? You've heard that statement. I'd like to add that the best things in life are actually most costly. For example, the love of my Uh, of my wife and child. Obviously, it's not purchased, although there are times I feel like I have to bribe my daughter with a toy or a piece of candy just to get a kiss. But rich or poor, their love for me is freely given, right? It's not purchased, it's free. And yet, aside from God, there's nothing else that changes my life more than their love. There's nothing that makes greater demands on me than their love. There's nothing that brings more awesome responsibility than that love of my family. It's truly an amazing, free thing, yet it is also deeply impactful, definitely uh, costly. Two weeks ago, we ended our study with the truth that God freely and graciously restores the broken. I mean, that's what we talk about, the good news. Meaning God doesn't give us what we deserve. That's mercy. Instead, he gives us something we don't deserve. That's grace. Again, mercy is withholding something we do deserve. That's punishment, separation, hell, whatever you want to call it. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve. That means salvation, heaven, blessings, himself. And that's the main point of our text today. You see, God, he doesn't pay us what we earn. If that was the case, we would receive nothing. He doesn't leave us in the mess we make for ourselves. God, he restores us back to him. He graciously forgives and renews those who are broken and humbled. Anyone who calls out to him, God, he listens and he restores. That's grace, people. It's free. It can't be purchased by any of your good works. It cannot be purchased by your perfect attendance here or the size of your offering. Grace is given to us because Christ has already purchased it for us with his death and with his resurrection, with the cross. That was our cross. But like many other areas, although God's grace, free as it is, it also calls for a great responsibility from us. You see, God's grace demands a response from us. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's grace demands our response. The first way in which we can respond to his grace is by giving God our allegiance. Now, the moment I said that word, I'm sure you all immediately thought of the Pledge of Allegiance, right? I remember even as early as kindergarten, we were taught to say the Pledge of Allegiance before the day began at school. I remember one time, actually, I think it was in the fourth grade, the school bell rang, we all stood up, placed our right hand over our hearts, and just before we began to recite it, this friend of mine next to me whispers, this is so stupid. I was shocked, shocked. I was shocked. I could not believe he would dare say that about my country, my flag. So I looked at him and I said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic, and I just kept going. I was just eyeing him and I just could not believe he would say something like that. Now, for me, I knew what 
doing the Pledge of Allegiance was all about. I knew what allegiance meant. Pledge means to promise, to listen, to be faithful, to obey. Allegiance means loyalty to my leader. And so here we are asked to pledge our allegiance to God, but that allegiance can be broken down into two different ways, okay? And the first way we can pledge our allegiance to God is by submitting to God. Okay, I'll say it again then. We'll try again. It's by submitting to God. Submission means to give in and surrender to God. Now, this doesn't mean that God is another thing that we submit to. You you see, God says, I'm the only one you submit to, okay? Nothing else. I am the only one you submit to. You see, my wife, Grace, she was an officer in the Navy, uh, but before then, I had no affiliation with the armed forces. But after we got married, I was able to visit her base several times. I was even, for some reason, able to speak with high-ranking officials. (laughs) I didn't get that kind of clearance, but I did. And I got to even touch the helicopters that the president rode, much to the dismay of the security guards who were saying, (laughs) I guess I wasn't supposed to do that. But it was really cool being a military wife for a few years. (laughs) I remember as I was waiting to pick up my wife, and she was in a meeting or something like that, I was sitting in the little waiting area, and there was a little pamphlet in the office building that I was waiting, and there I read this article on a POW, and I forget the name, but he was retelling his story as a prisoner of war. And he said this, it was a difficult time, and and it was was definitely, um, he thought his life was, they thought they were going to take his life any moment of the, of the entire time that he was there. But what allowed him to keep going was simply this fighting spirit that he had. This fighting spirit. In other words, he goes, I couldn't stop. I, had to, I would never want to stop resisting the people. I had to keep going, keep fighting. And he said, not only that, I had to never forget which side I was on even though I was in smack dab in the middle of enemy camp. And here's the thing. Our allegiance to Christ is no different. We are to submit to him and only him, no matter how much the enemy enemy might try to entice us, no matter how hard it might be to simply just give in and say, here are all the secrets. Here's my heart, Satan. I give everything to you. You see, so what does submitting to Christ look like? It looks like anything and everything that will glorify him and things that will conform us into the image of Christ. That is what it means to submit to Christ. Submitting to Christ means, God, how can I glorify you in this? Submitting to Christ means, how can I glorify you in this relationship? Submitting to Christ means, how can I glorify you in terms of my, let's say, sexuality, in terms of my career, in terms of my desires, in terms of anything and everything? God, how will you receive glory? And as you submit you will be conformed into the image of Christ. You see, situations will come every day that will attempt to blur your identity in Christ. It will call you to compromise your faith in many ways, like questioning God's character, questioning his love for you, questioning his sovereign plan and goodness for you, questioning his truth over you, submitting to Christ in many ways. Is being cognizant and having a cognizant recognition that life's circumstance that you are in right now can either A, draw you nearer to him or draw you away from him. And that these situations can help us learn more about him, him and allow us to grow spiritually stronger each and every day. You see, submitting to God gives us life. Sounds weird. 
Submitting to God gives us life. It strengthens our faith and our identity. Submitting, however, to the flesh and submitting to the world gives us confusion. It gives us death. It blurs our identity. That's why there's never a satisfaction that comes from within the world. There's never. You've experienced it too. How many times have you pursued something in this world only for you to have your heart broken again and again and again? We always end up looking for the newer thing. You know, when I first got my iPhone 5S and it was the newest thing at that time, I thought I'm better than everyone else who doesn't have it. I go, it's the newest thing. It can do the craziest thing and so on and so forth. All of a sudden, iPhone 6 came out. I was like, no, and it looks completely different too. And so there my dad had his iPhone 6 Plus. He's like, hey. <laughs> we want the newest thing, the biggest thing, the better thing. We should never commit to the world because guess what? The world will never commit to you. And who or what are you submitting to today, brothers and sisters? What are you giving your life over to today? What are you saying is my hope today? But alongside submission, we're called to resist the devil, too. This is how we pay allegiance to God. See, you know, Genesis gives us a great example of what happens when we don't resist the devil. By the way, the devil is real. And no, you probably didn't see him last night knock on your door asking for candy. But he is real nonetheless. In Genesis, God, he creates everything, right? Then he makes a man in his own image. And God, he, implants, he plants this beautiful garden for man, a perfect place for man to live, then God sees that man should have a wife to love and to cherish. So God, he makes Eve. But then Eve listens to the devil or the serpent, and she disobeys God. Now, at that moment of disobedience, Adam had a difficult choice to make. Would he submit to God, or would he go along with the wife that he loved so much? Even in that difficult situation, there was no such thing as sitting on the fence. There was no such thing as being agnostic here. He had two choices. You either submit to Eve and abandon his allegiance to God, or you submit to God and resist loving his wife. Now, we go through choices like that every day. Granted, they may not seem as cataclysmic as Adam and Eve's with the whole bring sin into the world but our choices will either strengthen your relationship, your fellowship with God, or it will hurt your relationship. It will fracture and fragment our fellowship with him. And I think we have to understand that the devil isn't going to dress in all red, have horns on his head, carry a three-pronged pitchfork, and come knocking on your door again, unless it was yesterday. The devil is not as brazen and as obvious as that. He's subtle. He's manipulative, and he works to discreetly influence us. So how do we resist the devil then? Resisting the devil is a lot like taking an exam. Whether it's the MCATs, the GREs, the SATs, or any general school exams, whatever. Some might think that the day of the exam, you can all just go to the exam center, sit your butt down, and just answer all the questions and ace it. That's hardly the case. Making sure you pass requires a building up of knowledge from countless hours of study and prep time. It means getting tutors if needed. It means missing out on special events so you can squeeze in a few more precious hours to prepare. You can't simply resist the devil like someone who walk up to an exam and expect to ace it. 
Resisting the devil requires prep work. It requires intimate knowledge of God's truth. It requires group study or accountability with other like-minded, like-spirited brothers and sisters of faith. You see, in the next couple weeks, as Jesse was talking about the men's discipleship, I'm planning on taking nine brothers here to the Appalachian Trail. I'm really excited. Are you brothers excited? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> the thing is, I am not an outdoorsy person at all, so I think these guys are fearful because they have to follow me. <laughs> Anyways, one of the days, it's two nights, three days, but it's just really one full day. Now that day, we'll be hiking approximately nine miles. Now, nine miles may not seem like a lot, but when you're going up and down hills, scrambling up rock walls, going through creeks, all the while in the middle of a cold November day, it might prove to be a bit difficult. I recently got a pair of good hiking boots because I always like to look the part. I have the clothes I need. I have my mind ready and prepared for this trip. But honestly, all that almost doesn't matter. All that doesn't matter if I don't go out before the trip to strengthen my legs and my back. So I need to hit the treadmill. I need to walk around and break in my boots. I need to get physically ready for it. It doesn't matter how much I want it, right? If my legs are like jello by the first mile, then those nine guys are going to have to create like a stretcher and carry me for the next eight. (laughs) If you're not in the Word of God, if you're not regularly having prayer appointments with God, if you're not regularly listening to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, if you're not regularly opening up your life, opening up to your life group and seeking accountability and being transparent, when the time comes for the devil to tempt you, you will fail. You will. It'll be so hard. But if you strengthen yourself with a little spiritual workout every day, your spirit will grow. Your heart will grow stronger. Your mind will become more conformed to God's, and you will be able to resist the devil. Amen? It requires a little work every single day. Our second point is that we must cultivate our friendship with God. Now, I remember when a dear friend of mine drifted away from me. It was actually really painful. I actually miss him a great deal even to this day. And at times, I'll try to Facebook search him. He doesn't have a Facebook, not that I know of. Like, I miss the guy. There was actually one day a few years ago, I went to the movie with my brother. And sitting behind me, after not seeing this friend of mine for over 10 years, Okay, two rows behind me, there he was. This out of the blue. There he was sitting. I turned around, I stood up, I said, John, it's me, bro. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Now I was waiting for him to start crying and say, dude, I miss you, man. I was stuck in the wilderness for 10 years and I've been trying, well, maybe not that. But then I want to express guy love and hug each other and then, you know, hit each other because, you know, that's what guys do. But there's none of that. Instead, he stood up, stuck out his hand, and gave me an awkward handshake. He's like, hey, David. I'm like, David? Then he gave me the fakest smile ever, and he says, yeah, it's good to see you too, man. Look, this is my girlfriend. Um, hey, enjoy the movie. Enjoy the movie? Are you kidding me? Enjoy the movie? How can I enjoy the movie? My friend who was once lost is now found. This is crazy. How can I enjoy the movie after my brother from another mother totally is acting like a stranger to me? 
There was a moment at, at that time when I thought our friendship could go back to how it was. You see, it's hard when someone you care about moves far away and then you never see them again. Or, or an old friend of yours gets married, but your spouses, they don't get along, so you kind of drift apart from them. Or maybe there was some sin, something happened between you and your good friend, and a close friendship was ruined forever. Now, here's the thing. As hard as that is, and I'm sure many of you guys have experienced that to some extent, can you imagine the loss if God's friendship was lost? Because that's what happened when sin entered the world. When sin entered, Genesis 3, 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this is what happened. And they hid from the Lord. God had been nothing but good to them. He lavished good things on them. He made them even his own image and loved them as his own. Yet because of sin... His highest creation, his babies, his friends, his bride, they, they hid from him. Sin has broken our relationship with God. It's alienated us from him and from us. Two weeks ago in verse 4, we read that friendship with the world makes us enemies of God. That's what sin did. But do you know what's greater than our desire to remain enemies and live apart from God? It's God's desire to reconcile us to himself. Praise the Lord. That's why in Ephesians 2, we read that Jesus came proclaiming peace to all those who were far away and far removed so that we could have access to the Father. Amen. Then in Hebrews 10, says that by his blood and his death on the cross, Jesus has opened the way for us to draw near again to the Father. Amen. Then Colossians 2 says that his death on the cross canceled out all our bad record of breaking every law, sinning against the Lord because our sins were nailed to that cross. On Calvary, you see, praise the Lord. You see, the obstacles that were in our way from getting to God, although impossible for us to move, God, he cleared them all because God is the God of the impossible. And by his grace, he restored us when we were so far off from him, even when we were so alienated because of our sins. So in verse 8, we read that we are to come to God. Now, this isn't just talking about coming to a faith relationship with him. James is actually talking to people who have faith but are falling away from him. Do you guys ever feel that right now? You have faith. You know where you stand before the Lord, but you're falling. You're drifting away from God. This is, this is James talking to you right now. In other words, you might have a relationship with God just like I have a relationship with my daughter. That fact will never change. Through Christ, I am God's child. Through biology and for other, other people, adoption. But for me, Ada, she is my daughter. That's our relationship. She can move. When she grows up, she can move halfway across the world. And guess what? She will continue to be my daughter. That's our relationship. My relationship with her will never change. No distance, nothing can take that fact away. But what can change is the friendship or fellowship I have with her. If she disobeys me, if she hurts me, if she lives rebelliously, if she breaks the rules of the house, it won't affect my relationship with her. It won't change her status as my daughter, but it will certainly affect my fellowship with her. Right? In the same way, if you know God through Christ, you are adopted children of his. You are God's children. He is your heavenly father, a fact that no one can ever take away. 
You are God's children. He's your heavenly father. But what can be tampered with is your fellowship and friendship with him. You can either cultivate that friendship or fragment it. How does anyone cultivate a friendship? Time, interests, and willing to persevere and work at it. Those principles that strengthen our friendship can be applied to our fellowship with God. Here's some practical things. We need to spend time with him, don't we? A couple of hours on a Sunday is hardly enough to get to know one another. What makes us think it's enough for us to get to know our eternal father? This calls for a daily quiet time. I don't know if you're doing it. I don't know if you're committing to it. But it is required to know him. But we also need to share in the same interests. You know God, he cares, everything, he cares about you in every way. He cares about the things that matter to you, but do you care about the things that matter to him? If you open up scriptures, you'll see all the amazing plans, desires, and interests. You'll see what he loves, and you'll want that too. Lastly, cultivating your fellowship requires working at the friendship or persevering. Look, I think we all know this, right? Not all friendships are perfect. There will be misunderstanding. There will be times you'll disagree. There will be times when circumstances will strain your friendship to a breaking point, but true friends persevere through those things. Come near to God and he'll come near to you, verse 8 says. It's easy to draw near to God when you feel his nearness, isn't it? But God, he says, come to me, pursue me, even when you don't feel anything. I think usually when we don't experience God's nearness or his presence, it has little to do with where God's at and more to do with where we're spiritually at. Can I hear an amen to that? You know God is here, right? You know he's not saying, well, no, you got to do more for me to gain, for me to get you or you to have me. No, it's nothing like that. How many here work in cubicles or in a work environment where you have coworkers surrounding you? I'm sure a lot of you. And though you're near them, doesn't mean that you actually know them, right? It requires conversation. It requires investing in relationship with them. It requires you to draw near to them. And here's our last point. Our last point is that we must pursue purity. Now, this seems like an odd statement to make considering all that we've discussed today, but it's not. Someone once said, virginity is a stupid man-made social construct in order to place higher value and commodify women. What? As angry and wrong as that comment is, purity here isn't only about our sexual purity. It's not only about retaining our virginity until marriage. Is it important? Of course. But purity is more about choosing and following what God wants from us than what the world wants from us. Being pure is about calling sin a sin. And though we may not completely understand what it is, because you trust in God, who is wiser than us and who is the only one who truly understands the impact of what sinning does, we trust that God knows what he commands for the sake of our betterment and for his glory. The moment of impurity comes, in our, comes when in our minds we say, you know what, this thing that God says is wrong, it's not that big a deal. And what happens then? We, be, we begin to minimize God's truth. And to minimize God's truth is to say that sin isn't a big deal. And if we say that sin is not a big deal, then we're saying that Jesus died for nothing. 
Maybe you're compromising your purity or have compromised your purity by embracing certain sins in your life. Purity is important and allows us to really trust in God's plan and actually allows us in many ways to live as God wants us to live. In fact, being pure can definitely clear up and help our fellowship with Him, whereas being impure makes our fellowship with God a lot more hazy and uncertain. But I want to say this for those of you who may feel condemned or judged right now. While being pure in all aspects of our lives is important, the greater truth is that even when we fail in this, and brothers and sisters, friends, we will fail in this. That even when we fail in this, we can still be redeemed. And we can still be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb through repentance. Amen? You see, God, he's not solely concerned about what you've done in the past. That's the devil reminding you so that you can never move on. Instead, God is more concerned about how you respond to his grace in the present. You get that? How will you respond to God's grace right now? You know the sins in your life. You know what's holding you back. You know what's fragmenting, fracturing. What do you want? Dividing, breaking apart your fellowship with him. You know what that is. And maybe you're thinking, God, I've come to you already a million times. And he says, come to me a million one. You see, God's grace is abundant and plentiful. God's grace is what's needed because shame and guilt keeps us from approaching him. God's grace says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Shame and guilt keeps us from the Father, thinking that we need to get right in order to get to God. Grace says that we need to come to the Father, broken and humble, for he will make us right. And like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, though grace is free, it cost the father his son. If Christ had to pay for it on the cross, this grace that we now have must demand a response from us. We must submit to God and resist the devil. We must find peace in our relationship with him, but work on our fellowship with him. And lastly, we need to seek after purity because like Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's not enough that we know that by God's grace we're saved. We must give allegiance to God, meaning we must resist everything that opposes him. It's not enough that we rest in our relationship with God, but we must also cultivate our friendship with him by knowing God more each and every day. And it's not enough that we know that he saved us from the guilt and consequence of sin, but that he also came, us, came to save us from sin itself every day. You see, we sung this song, Purify my heart, make me holy. The Lord says, be holy for I am holy. Do you know that by the power of the Holy Spirit in our Christian lives, it is possible to pursue and to live a life that is holy and pleasing to the Lord? It is only because of God through his Son and the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I have a chance to live a life that honors God, that allows us to lead closer and draw closer to God and to live a life that is more fulfilling. And all of that is done by his grace, which is something that none of us deserve. Praise be to God. Let's bow our heads and prepare ourselves for this time of communion. But before we do that, I want to encourage you all to take a moment to reflect on what you've heard today. I could speak one message, but you all can hear something completely different in the way the Spirit is speaking to you.
a different application perhaps. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you guys to take this time. Because again, how often do we actually come before God like this? Throughout a week. And seek Him. Brothers and sisters, friends. Let's respond to what He's saying to us right now. I want to give you guys just a brief moment to pray your prayer. And then we'll go into a time of communion. Let's pray. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you. And I express, Lord, complete thankfulness to you and only you for your desire to send your son Jesus to die on our behalf. What grace, what love. Lord, we express our sorrow that it was because of our sins that led to this great sacrifice on your son's part. And so now, Lord, we pray and acknowledge the fellowship of what this all means. That this means that we get to be one with him and have communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your great love. And we pray that we would take this now in a manner that's worthy of your name and worthy, Lord, of your glory. Father, I pray for every single person here. Would you bless us now? Lord, with you. We come here broken and humbled, not to receive more worldly things or giftings or blessings, Lord, but we desire the blesser. We desire the giver. We desire God, you. And so, Lord, we take this. We take this not only because 2,000 years ago you died and rose from the grave, but we also take this in hope that one day you will come back. The promise that you will come back and restore all things and bring us back to you. So we thank you. We love you. We cherish everything about you, Father. Lead us now, I pray. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Please join me.